Abraham. We're going to look at Abraham's story and our story. And here's what I want you to do. I, I, I want you to first take a look at this beautiful painting. Anytime I get a chance to show this painting, I do. So you'll have to humor me here. But this painting, which you might recognize, is a painting called Christina's World. It's by a painter named Andrew Wyeth. Okay. And uh, this painting ha uh, hangs in the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. I've been out to the MoMA uh, a few times to see it. I, I made a trip to New York one time because I just needed to see this painting. So I did a quick round robin trip up to New York. I got a good deal on a flight and went to the MoMA, looked at this painting for a few hours and then went back to the airport, got on a plane and came home. Uh, it is a significant piece of art, uh, both culturally and for me personally. The reason why I find it incredibly significant uh, is some of the backstory here. So when you look at Christina's world, what are some of the things that your, your eyes are drawn to? You know, if you're watching this, you get to see it, but you see that there's a young woman and she's laying on the ground um, and she's kind of laying in what looks like tall grass, right? Um, and she's looking off at a home and there's a barn. It looks like if you look real closely, there's a ladder that's up kind of on the house if you really, really look, like if you got really, really close to the screen, like I'm doing right now, or if you got this picture, you'll see that there's a wheelchair that's all the way pushed up. You can see the kind of the tracks of the wheelchair going through the tall grass and then fading off into the short grass. It tells you a little bit of something about this picture. Christina's world is a picture of a young woman uh, who uh, has been left in this field as her father and brother go to paint on the house. Andrew Wythe painted this painting um, and uh, based off of a story uh, about this brother, uh, she, wanted to, she wanted to sit and kind of be further away from the work. And so they, they, they left her here um, in the field. And uh, it, if you look at her posture, her posture is a little bit longing. Right, it's almost like she's stretched out, like she wants to be over there. But you can see that her legs, I mean, she's, she can't walk, she can't get there. And when I think about this, I think about this place of tension that we exist in, a place of longing that we live in, that we long to be somewhere. And I think about how, it, how crucial it is for us to understand that a key component to the Christian life is to be between where we are, where we've been, and to be uh, between where, where we've been, excuse me, and where we're going, and to learn how to live faithfully in that present moment. When you begin to kind of understand the story of Christina's world, you understand the painting a lot better, and the same is true for Abraham's story and our story. You see, what does God's covenant with Abraham have to do with us? Well, everything everything. Our past, present, and future is bound up in the covenant that God inaugurated with Abraham. This very same covenant that would be consummated in the chosen seed, Christ Jesus. You know, like Abraham, we wander around as imperfect covenant participants in God's world that has been broken by sin. And as we wander this world, we participate in enjoying his presence and in reflecting his purposes and living as his people and beautifying his place in a way that Abraham could only hope to experience. And so I want to kind of focus in here on some of the implications of Abraham's story for our story. The first is presence. Covenant participants are no longer in bondage to our pagan past. We get to dwell with God. 
we get to live our life with God. Covenant participants are called to, into dwelling with the true God. We're called into living in God's presence. It realigns our loves, our worship, our practices. We're Covenant participants are called out of dwelling in the midst of false gods. We're set free from the oppression and temptation of idolatry. You see, Abraham is called out of Ur. He is kept from Sodom, and he's allowed by God's mysterious providence to enter hostile lands and prosper in them. You see, as covenant participants, we have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and death and into the kingdom of God's beloved son, Jesus Christ. We, as participants in God's covenant, get to dwell with God. But we also get to enjoy living as God's people in his place. We have a purpose. We've been given a, a place and a purpose. Well, as covenant participants, we're no longer lost in a foreign land. We're constantly putting on display to the world that as Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. I, I used to have a map here, but listen, if you go and you went back and looked at that map from the first part of this lecture, you would notice that in Abraham's journey, okay, you would notice that prior to Exodus, the people of Israel and Abraham specifically are walking from end to end of the land that God is going to give them. Abraham walks the whole land. He kind of charts it out. And see, as covenant participants, we get to live knowing that God has given us a place, this world, which belongs to God by right and us by adoption, and a task, which is to reflect God's purposes in the places that he puts us. You know, And we get to see some of the failures of this, right? We get to see that Abraham fails to acknowledge God's purposes uh, in Genesis 12, when he denies that Sarah's his wife uh, in Egypt. In Genesis 16, with Hagar, Abraham is not willing to submit to God's purposes with Sarah to bear a child. So he has the, you know, essentially the servant Hagar. In Genesis 20, you see Abimelech when the God, uh, Abraham denies that Sarah's his wife in front of Abimelech. But you also get to see pictures when Abraham acknowledges God's purposes and his dominion. You see him following the call in Genesis 12. You see his intercession for Sodom in Genesis 18. You see in Genesis 22, the sacrifice of Isaac. You see covenant participants like Abraham, they're no longer wandering dark in a foreign land. Now they're living with a place and a task. So Abraham's past uh, present was shaped by the promise of God, but he didn't always live that way. You see, covenant participants like Abraham, they live imperfectly between the tension of God's promise and its complete fulfillment. And, you know, I've always loved this. Paul says of Abraham in Romans 4.20, he says, but no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But hold on. Doesn't it seem like a lot of distrust made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God? Abraham distrusted God repeatedly. But it says that no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And I think that that's an incredibly wonderful thing to hear because it's a reminder that who has sealed God's covenant with Abraham? God has. And when Abraham obeyed what was afforded to Abraham, what only God deserved. But when Abraham disobeyed, who got what Abraham deserved? God did. 
God did in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. You see, as covenant participants, we're no longer in bondage to our pagan past. We're no longer lost in a foreign land, and we are now marked as God's people. We are sons and daughters of God. We are brothers and sisters with one another. God is making a new family, and he did that out of Abraham. And this is why I am passionately committed to something that is deeply countercultural, which is this. The people of God are the first family for the people of God. The, the covenant family that we share together is stronger than the blood that runs through our veins. So I am more united to my wife by virtue of the covenant that God has made uh, in Abraham and fulfilled in Christ than our marriage vows together. Our union is not primarily as husband and wife, but primarily as son and daughter of God. The same is true for us when it comes to our blood relatives. When I think about, um, when I think about my brother, who is also a believer, my relationship with my brother is more secure by virtue of our covenant belonging to God than our DNA and biological kinship. So there is something thicker than blood, and there is something that's more important than family first. It is belonging to the family of God. We are marked as God's people. You see, covenant participants are marked and we're set apart. Why are we set apart? Well, God has blessed us. Why? So that we will be a blessing to the world, that we will extend the blessings of God, his purposes to a broken world. And how is Israel marked? Well, Israel is marked as covenant participants. They are marked as covenant participants, and so too are we. For Israel, it was circumcision. You see this in Genesis 17, verses 9 through 14, as God calls Abraham to uh, circumcise himself and for his descendants to be circumcised. Circumcision was a covenant symbol. It was a way of identifying. Uh, N.T. Wright has called it a boundary marker for belonging to God's covenant people. But we too, as covenant participants, are marked. Uh, we are publicly identified that we belong to the covenant God, no longer by circumcision, but through baptism. And when we take communion each week, and let me use this for a soapbox, the gathering of God's people is crucial because the receiving of the communion, the receiving of the Lord's Supper is a reminder to us and an identification to the world that we are those who belong to God in covenant love. That's why you don't want to slip out before the Lord's Supper to get to lunch early. And it's one of the crucial reasons why the gathering of God's people is so significant and why the disruption of that gathering in this year of COVID has been so lamentable is because as we receive the Lord's Supper, it is a sacred act by which we remind ourselves that it is through broken body and shed blood. It is through severed sacrifice that we enjoy fellowship with God, not our own severed sacrifice, but the severed sacrifice of the Son of God. Jesus Christ. Covenant participants are no longer in bondage to their pagan past. They're no longer lost in a foreign land, and they're marked out as God's people, set apart to be a blessing to the world. And they're blessed to be a blessing because not only are we marked, but we are marked so that we might be identified as the people that God has set apart to bless the nations. Abraham is blessing in his life in Genesis 14 with Lot's rescue, his intercession for Sodom in Genesis chapter 18. But Abraham is also a blessing in that he works as a focus to God's covenantal love to the whole world. Gordon Winham, who I've already quoted, says this, blessing is the bond of favor that joins God's people with him. 
that when we receive blessing, we then extend blessing to the world around us. It's one of the ways that we live out our participation in God's covenant love. So how can you be an agent of blessing? As a covenant participant, you're no longer in bondage to your pagan past. You're no longer lost in a foreign land, and God has blessed you with his presence in his place to reflect his purposes, that you're now a son or daughter of God. Everything belongs to him, and so you don't have to hold on to anything because he's holding on to you. So how can your life be lived as a blessing? Well, for the new covenant, covenant participant, you and I, we get to live with open hands, generosity. Do you realize that when you give of your time, your energy, your funds into the life of the church, do you realize that you are living faithfully as a covenant participant? You are blessing your brothers and sisters. You're blessing the community that you're embedded in. You are walking out of the call and the covenant with Abraham. Do you realize that when you share the good news of Jesus Christ and you invite other people into covenant participation, do you know that you're blessing the world? You're living as a covenant participant. You have received blessing and so you're blessing. See, this is the way that we are to live in the world as participants in God's covenant love being brought in by grace, sealed by Jesus, the severed sacrifice not being us and having been walked through by God and God alone. Take away from this last section, this last part, kind of a joke, but not really. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll feel more substantive now. Father Abraham had many sons, had many sons, said Father Abraham, I am one of them, and so are you, so let's praise the Lord. Maybe that'll have more teeth to it now. A little less silly. Let me give you the rest of Genesis. Caroline will come in and talk to us about the Exodus event, but let me just fill in the rest of the story because we're hitting Abraham, and the next time that we're in the story, we'll be talking about the Exodus event. So how do we get there? Well, Abraham's son Isaac is not sacrificed. Why? Because God was inviting Abraham into the gift of faith and belief. It wasn't about sacrificing Isaac, and God was going to use Isaac to send his chosen offspring to make right what sin had made wrong. So Abraham's son Isaac marries Rebekah, and Isaac gives birth to Jacob and Esau. Um, Jacob is the one who steals the blessing of Esau, but Jacob, in stealing the blessing, becomes the chosen lion. So through Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons, and he loved the 11th son, Joseph, more than the others. Jacob's sons sell Joseph into slavery, and you know this part of the story because you watch the prince of Egypt. Due to famine, Jacob's family moves to Egypt to escape the famine. And while there, they encounter Joseph, the son who had been sold into slavery. Joseph, because of the favor that God had given him in the eyes of Pharaoh, has some rule and some reign. He is, what is he doing? He's living as a covenant participant, and God is using him, blessing him with favor. Why? So that he could be a blessing to Egypt and to Israel, the sons and daughters of Abraham. So Jacob's family moves to Egypt to escape the famine, and they are blessed in doing so initially because of Joseph. Joseph's favor in the land, and they grow, and they multiply in Egypt, and things look like they're going really well, but Joseph dies, and when Joseph dies, uh, a new Pharaoh emerges, and that Pharaoh does not remember them, and for Israel, it's not a good situation, because they become, uh, essentially, Egypt is concerned that Israel is gaining power and might in their own country, and so what do they do? 
Well, they reject Israel uh, and they enslave Israel. Um, and uh, the entire story of Egypt then is about God remaining faithful in redeeming or purchasing his family out of slavery so that they may inherit the land and that they may live in God's presence as God's people. And to that story, Caroline will address it as we get into the Exodus event in the next lecture. So this was part three of our lecture on the covenant with Abraham. I'm really glad that you're a part of the Forge program. Continue to push forward, listen to the lectures or watch the lectures when we're not in person and show up for your cohort discussion group so that you can talk together. It's crucial that you talk about these lectures with one another, that you talk about the reading with one another, because that will be a huge X factor in uh, the success of this program. So bless you, be reading drama of scripture or uh, be working on your doctrinal statements and look forward to the Zoom